So we're getting back to our first Samuel study. And if you forget, that's in the Old Testament. And uh, there's a trusty table of contents in your Bible in case you get lost. The digital ones are okay. It just helps be able to, you know, turn the pages, though. Okay. Father, this is your time. I pray, Lord, that you just speak to our hearts and uh, just a powerful and just impactful way, Lord. I pray that we'd be listening. And I pray that we wouldn't be listening for anybody else, but we would be listening for ourselves, Lord. And, Father, I just pray, Lord, that we wouldn't do ourselves an incredible disservice by hearing your voice and then not putting it into action, Lord. And I pray that the enemy wouldn't be successful in just uh, you know, stealing any truth and just distracting or discouraging anybody, Father, from the truth uh, of how good you are, how compassionate you are, Lord, of how you're for us and not against us, Lord. So God, speak to our hearts in this time, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we got 1 Samuel 4, and um, the title, as you can see in your bulletin there, this is going to be kind of like the theme that we're going to talk about. Um, When excitement about God leads to failure. When excitement about God leads to failure. When excitement about God leads to failure. Like, is that possible? You know, how? It's an interesting thing. Because here's the dynamic we're presented with, okay? If uh, myself, if you, anybody, when we give our lives over to Jesus Christ, and we say, Lord, like, I'm not playing the game anymore. I'm giving my life over to you. Every area of my life, I'm, I'm going to do on your terms. So I'm just, I'm going to handle forgiveness the way you say to. I'm going to handle compassion the way you say to. I'm going to handle sexuality the way you say to. I'm going to handle finances the way you say to. Lord, I, the purity in my heart and in my mind, I want to go after it the way you talked about it. When we draw the line in the sand, and we actually like mean that, and we cry it out to God, and then we try to live it out, right? When somebody actually you know, tries to live that out, they're, actually, they're not just saying it in word because they know it's a the thing they should say, or they're, they're just emotionally moved, when they're actually just, they're grinding out, just trying to let the Holy Spirit do the work in them they know that needs to be done. When fruit or victory or like overcoming situations or things come together, prayers get answered, it gets to be very exciting. It gets, it gets to be very exciting. Um, and it's hard to shut that off. It's very hard to shut it off. And so you typically see more of that excitement when somebody really just gets saved. It's like, oh my gosh, I have this father who, like, who loves me, been with me every step of the way, and you're telling me all of my sins are forgiven? Like, all of them? And then, you know, like I could sin in the future, but if I repent, like tell God about that, come to him on his terms about it, like we could still be in good standing. He wouldn't like put me in probation for a while until like he deals with me and then we can get back to our relationship this is like radical stuff and when that becomes a reality for us in our mindset and then you know how we live as Christians this whole thing becomes like wow super exciting and super awesome and um, 
And that's intriguing to the world around us. I'll tell you what's not intriguing to the world around us. Um, are stale Christians who don't take risk, but know a lot of Bible verses and will throw it in their face when they feel like somebody's wrong. That doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. And it might be good truth in those verses that's getting thrown at them, but, but I, th- I think it's in God's heart to where he doesn't want us just to be like the police of everybody. He wants us and he's calling us to be the nature of his heart on this earth and to deliver his nature to others. And it doesn't just mean like we just turn a blind eye to things that happen in people's lives. Like we have to call a spade a spade for sure. Um, but, but most of us, many of us, right, the struggle is connecting with his heart, getting a part of his nature that's just, ah, we can't shake it because we've been with him, and then we deliver that to those around us. It's really what it's about at the end of the day. It becomes very exciting. And I would say excitement and joy, occasional yelling, hands up. Like, the Super Bowl's on today. People will be getting crazy. Uh, I personally am a Cowboys fan. I'm very discouraged. It's a very disappointing season. We have sucked for a long time. We had a great chance this year, and it was bad. It's just all bad. So, but people will be getting crazy today. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a fan. There might be something a little bit wrong with thinking you're on the roster when you're really not, but there's, there's nothing wrong, you know, with being a fan. It's being excited, you know, and just like, it, you just get into it, you know? You just you jump off the couch, you yell at the TV, you know, you just you high-five people in the living room when something good happens. Like, it's just what you do. And I really don't, I, I don't think that God was like, hey, like, that's cool for sports, but with me, like, we don't do that. We, we somber, you know, and it's just very... And it's like, for some reason, they think that's like the appearance of holiness. Hmm. You know, and it's like, and I'm not saying, like, there's not times in life for that, because there is. But it's, for the most part, like, we're in relate. I don't want my kids to be like, when they come around dad, they have to, you know, I don't know. I'm not interested in that. Like, be your crazy, like, just be wild. Like, go ahead. That's fine. But I'll show you the parameters, but just be yourself. Be who, like, who you are. And that, you know, the rest of the world around us, they want to see that. Like, that's just, that, that's just a foreign thing. Just foreign, and that freedom just comes out. Comes out of we can't fake it. Number one, because everybody sees right through the phoniness. I mean, we live in a day and age where people are exposed to so much; they're just able to read phoniness really well. And if they just get a sense that it's like mm, that's something you talk about, maybe you go to occasionally, but I'm not buying it so much in your life. People pick up on that stuff, and a lot of times they won't say those words. It's kind of refreshing to be around people that do say those words. Um, but sometimes they don't, and they just show with their actions, you know. They're just kind of removed. They're just sort of like stiff-arming you, and it's just like, okay, you know. So excitement plays a role. But then there's like this other arena that makes things difficult, is we could just work everybody up into a frenzy about Jesus, about God, about the Bible, about things that happen in life, and just create a super emotional atmosphere of hype, and that's the problem. Because at the end of the day, the two look very similar. Somebody who's free in God and loving God and loving who he is, taking risk, seeing prayers be answered. 
allowing the word to just come into their life and transform them from the inside out and just being free of just so many things in life. It's exciting. That looks very much like somebody who's emotionally hyped up and just raring to go. They're very similar. So it's like high excitement and zeal and enthusiasm. It has to be in the life of a Christian, but it's like it, it can also be in a wrong place. And so this passage in 1 Samuel 4, I think, highlights a couple things for us that I think will be helpful. Because there definitely is an excitement in God that can lead to just flat-out failure. Because it was really just all hype. And that, of course, opens some questions. Well, how do you know if it's hype? How do I know if I'm just in hype? And how do I, you know? So we're going to look at some of that stuff, all right? So 1 Samuel 4. Let's take a look. It, it, um, it says, And Samuel's word came to all Israel. So we closed up chapter 3 last time. And what happened is the super short Cliff Notes version. You can catch it all online. We post them all up there on the website. But the super short Cliff Notes. Uh, there's young guy Samuel. God's calling him to be the new leader of the nation. As a young man, he calls him. He speaks to, he speaks to him. Like, Jesus comes and speaks to him. And tells him this is the deal for him. At like 10, 11, 12 years old. Really young age. And then he tells them how he's going to deal with and judge the current religious-like leaders in place and how he's going to put him there. What a lot of information to take for a 10-year-old. It's like, what are you... Getting a drink from like a fire hydrant. You just get overwhelmed. So he gets all this information and now he's growing up in the Lord and developing and growing and now the people of the nation are saying, hey... God's hand is with that man. Like that, that's our new leader. Like this, it's go, we're going that way. And so now we pick up, and that's what that's what um, the Bible means when it says, "And Samuel's word came to all Israel," meaning God's word is coming through Samuel and coming to everybody. That was Old Testament way of doing things. It would come to a person or a group of people, then come to everybody. New Testament, His word comes to all of us. There's not a few of us with the keys of God's voice and like the good news and how to live. His word comes to all who want it. The question is, do you want it? I want to, you know, this is like, whew. I hope we can grow a strong base in this town. Like, yeah, I want his word. I want it. I need it. Is there another way? Like, I don't even, I'm not interested. I want his word to direct the way. So it says, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now the Israelites uh, went out to fight against the Philistines. And again, Old Testament, there's just a lot of fighting. It's just what happened. Um, and the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. So they camped at these two different places. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. It's a heavy loss. Verse 3, When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the elders, you know, they get to get like, wow, like we just got whooped and it was bad. 
I mean, 4,000 people died. Like, it's, it's more than getting whooped and died. Like, it's pretty sad. Like, those are fathers, you know, those are uncles, those are brothers. Like, that's, that's heavy duty. So we're like, well, what do we do? You know, he says, we've got to get the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh so, it may go, so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So verse 4. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is uh, enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli, who was the current religious like, leader of that time and was for about 30 years, Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Verse 5. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. That's pretty big. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? Now, if you just stop there for a second. If you just stop there, um, we might develop a certain ending in our heads, like if you're just to stop there. And it's interesting to say how, how it plays out. Because I think for a lot of us, you'd be like, man, I got the Ark of the Lord, brought it back, got the priests. Oh, shout so loud. They're just like getting, they're getting crazy is what they're doing. Like, we got the Lord. Like, we forgot. Like, we, okay, we have the Lord. We have the Lord. We have the Lord. You know, and they're like singing, and they're ramping it, and they're in it. You'd think it's like a layup. Now, it says when they learned, Philistines, uh, it says when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Again, looks pretty impressive. Woe to us! Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who... And they know something about this. They just think they're gods. They just know them from afar. Well, do they know it's just one? Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you'll be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So their word was, hey, listen, just man up right now. It, it looks pretty scary, but just, you know, man up now. Verse 10, so the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. I'm going to go a little bit further. That same day, a Benjamite ran, ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh, his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, What is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes were so set that he couldn't see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, What happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate 
His neck was broken and he died. For he was an old man and heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. And it just gets even, they go even more with me. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, right? So his son's wife, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the Ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, right? So she's like in labor. She hears that her father-in-law just died and her husband just died. She went into labor. It's pretty understandable. Gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, the women attending her said, Don't despair. You've given birth to a son. But she didn't respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because of the capture of the ark of God and the death of her father-in-law and her husband, she said, The glory has departed from Israel. For the ark of God has been captured. So this is kind of wild, right? Kind of wild. Um, main point being, kind of the bottom line here, they got super excited. The ground shook. They were like, the other, the other side was afraid. Wow, this is impressive. We've never seen anything like this before. And all of it, and it was centered around bringing the ark of the covenant in their midst. And the ark symbolized, right? In the Old Testament, we don't have an ark now. We don't carry it around. We are now the temple. There is no other temple and ark. God has chosen through his Holy Spirit to not reside in an ark anymore and do any of that. He's chosen to now reside into each and every Christian individual. That's where he resides. And the battle is hearing that voice and letting him lead us and speak to us. So there's no need for arcs and temples anymore, but that's the way it was then. So the ark signified his presence, and most times it signified like his favor and his blessing. So they bring that in the midst, and they're like, hey, we're guaranteed to do good, and everybody's excited, and we're all on the same page, like, we got this. And he read it. 30,000 defeated. Not only did that happen, they lose the two sons of the current priest, then the priest falls over and dies when he hears the news, and it's like, boom. They talk about failure, like just failure. Absolute failure. Um, so what's intriguing to me about that is that they, they believed in God. Number one, they believed in God. They believed in who he was. So this, there's like faith here, okay? So they believed in God. They believed in who he was. They believed in what he did in the Old Testament when they weren't around. Because the ark in the past was used in many battles, and they won. So they believed God on all those fronts. And so they took that faith level, and they said, okay, let's bring it here. And they just failed flatly on their face. It's interesting to me. Um, And it's sobering to me. Because that definitely implies, it implies that there's a level of excitement, that there's a level of faith that is, it, it, it's not good and it's going to lead to failure. Here's the million dollar question though. W- what is that? Right? What is that level of faith? What, what is that kind of belief that leads to failure? What is that kind of excitement that leads to failure? I am glad that you asked that question. <laughs> I just have some thoughts on it. I don't have the golden bullet answer, okay? Here's, here's number one, my thought on this one. 
My thought on this one, number one is, this is a nation, okay? This is a nation that they have been doing their own thing their own way for a long time. Let me also tell you this. They have been getting used to fighting battles, and I'm putting quotations, winning battles without any involvement of the Ark of the Lord. They've been getting used to fighting, gearing up, getting into battle, not losing. I'm going to put in quotes again, winning, because it appeared like winning. And they got used to fighting and advancing and going through. So right away, that just gives me an insight. They got used to living life on their own terms, making their own decisions, and kind of doing things their own way. And then when they were really stuck and they had to involve God in the process, they didn't know how to do it. They weren't looking to win the battle out of what was being birthed in them right now, just a heart for God. They were looking to win battles based on what worked in the past. What they did is they reduced the relationship with God and victory with God into a formula that used to work back then, but that's not going to work right now. Is it making sense to you? So they didn't know God's heart. They didn't know God who he is right now in the current. They knew, hey, this procedure worked before, so I'm just going to do it again. And like, I'm here to share with you that it works the same way now. God is looking to do current things right now that he births in his people. So that's why, like, even just, right, so in churches, it's detrimental to a church to just stay in one tradition and do one thing the same way because you've always done it that way. It's detrimental. You're not going to survive. In fact, what you're going to do is you're going to get a bunch of people that come together that are stale just like that, and they'll just, they'll just take pride in their traditions because that's all they got left. Because there's definitely nothing alive and breathing in that. So it's detrimental to churches. It's detrimental to families. We can't just, uh, you know, parent, discipline, make major decisions, do marriage the way we just have always done it or saw people do it. There are millions and billions of unique situations with unique people, with unique needs where God is doing unique things. It, you can't re- reduce it down to a formula or an equation. The only thing that we can really do with that is, like I said before, we have to be so close and connected to his heart so we realize, okay, Father, this is what you're doing in this situation. This is what you're doing in this relationship. Father, this is how you want me to parent my kids. This is how you want me to be a grandparent. This is how you want me to be an uncle. This is what you're doing in our finances, so I'm coming in line with that. It's not like, hey, I heard a story from so-and-so, and they did this, so now I'm going to do that, and I should get the same results. It, it's not like a pattern thing that can just be copied. That's exactly what they tried to do, and they fell super flat on their face. Does it make sense? So it just gives all the more credence and 
shows all the more importance towards relationship with Father now. Actively abiding. John 15. Read it. And then read it again. And then journal it. And then read it again. And then pray it. And then read it again. I'm telling you. <clears throat> and that's like, you know, and, and part of that, certainly, that's why, like, especially I just think of kids. It's so important in the home to have them, like, just be around decisions that are made that are, that are just, like, in prayers of family together. Um, just ways of, of just living out the gospel and knowing who God is at a young age. So they're just, like, around that. And they just see, they just understand that culture and that environment. I think it's really difficult when a family, like, you know, the parents or, or whoever, they get saved, grandparents, whoever, they get saved later in life and it really impacts the family. And then now there's like this, this, this whole new just shift and change and, and following God and like his ways and it's like just throws ripples and everything. You know, it makes it really difficult, complicated. And it's a good thing that like they gave their lives to the Lord. They're trying to follow after God. Um, but God is like doing like something new and fresh there. And to rely on old patterns and like behaviors is just, it's just detrimental. Because God is doing a new thing in Jared. He's like, he's, he's like calling out the spirit that resides in Jared. He's calling it out of me. And he's saying, hey, listen, I want that to be the predominant theme and narrative in your life. And I'm calling for that to shine in each and every role that you're in. So I know that God the Father is calling His Spirit to shine incredibly bright in my math. I know He's doing that in particular ways. I know like there's a certain strategy there, and I get it. I know He's trying to do it amongst my coworkers. I know He's trying to do it more to a greater degree in my family. I know that there's specific ways He's trying to do it for me and my marriage. I know that there's specific ways of trying to do it for me, you know, for my kids. I know specific ways He wants me to like be a part. So it happens for our kids here, like. God is calling us to be in tune with his heart so we have like a firm understanding, okay, here's what he's doing right here. And that just comes out from daily being with him, just actively abiding, being connected to his heart and bringing his nature. That would have been an awesome response for them. Like if, I think if they could have called back maybe and did a little switcheroo, probably would have been a good idea for them to not say, hey, just bring the ark in. That's our trump card. Who can beat that? Instead, maybe what they should have done was, let's get some sackcloth, let's get the ashes, and let's go fasting for a few days because we are in serious trouble. And maybe God in his mercy would just extend his arm, extend his arm to us. And if he doesn't, we got to like just pray on our knees that we learn from this and we come back together as a nation. I'll tell you what, it would have looked a lot different. It would have looked a lot different. So here's the question then, right? With these battles, well, actually, if you look at the end here, verse 22, the last verse, before I get to this other part, 
Verse 22, last verse. Uh, she said, right, so this is the mom that gave birth, you know, and probably wasn't the best name for her son, but just the way they did things back then. She said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Um, and so they were pretty hopeless, and they thought that basically God just shut it off for them. Because they weren't close to God's heart, they misinterpreted the situation. Because they weren't close to God's heart, they misinterpreted the situation. It certainly looks bad. 4,000 lost, another 30,000 lost. Two priest kids die. Eli dies. It's just her own husband then died. I mean, it's just, that's a, that's a bad day. It's a bad week. If you just look at it tunnel vision like that, it is pretty bad. But if we extend it out just a little bit more, when Jesus came and he talked to young Samuel in chapter 3, and he said, hey, I'm calling you to lead this nation. And he also said, listen, I'm going to deal with Eli and his family, and I'm cutting them off. Like, they're done leading. It's not good for my people. We're going in the wrong direction. It's not going to happen any longer. And Old Testament judgment was harsh. Amen? Yeah, it was swift and fast. And if you're an obedient, it was, you're, it was coming for you. And, and New Testament judgment is still pretty harsh. Like, we're standing to stand before the Father and still have to give an account. And if Jesus is not covering us and washing us, like, we're in, you're in serious trouble. Amen? But while we're here... There's a lot of grace and mercy and compassion that covers, and he's constantly wooing and drawing people to himself. And we're not in fellowship with a God. As soon as you get it wrong, he smacks on the discipline real fast, hot and heavy. It's not like that. It kind of will be like that later, but he is like pursuing, and he's just waiting for prodigals to come back home. So it's pretty different. But Old Testament, they were leading, and the way they did it, the obedience, it didn't happen. Judgment came quick. And it came on Eli and his family. And Eli knew about it. So, if you open up just a little bit more, we start to see, maybe things weren't quite falling apart. Maybe they're actually falling right into place. Maybe they weren't completely falling apart. Maybe they're exactly falling into place. Because God was saying, hey, listen, I am completely changing the direction of where we are going, the leadership who we have, and the nation that's right here. I am cha- I am cha- God's saying, I am changing this. I don't like where it's headed, and I am changing it now. And the cool thing is, he wasn't changing it, so like they would learn more lessons or be harder for them. He was changing it because he was trying to create a situation, environment where they could be, where there could be more growth, they could be more productive, where they could experience more of Him. And that's super encouraging for me, and I hope for you, because when a thing seems like things are completely falling apart, and it could be real life stuff, I mean, people could pass away, people get sick, they get a bad doctor's report. Finances just just dry up. Just unexplainable things happen. And those things could have happened because you shot yourself in the foot and made bad choices. I'm not, I'm not talking about that situation. 
I'm talking about the situation where really being obedient and following the Lord. And things are just it's like, wow, this is like totally the opposite of how I thought God would do things. Especially now that I'm really following after his heart. And I just want to say to you right then and there, just be careful. It could be falling into place exactly the way it needs to go. Because people that aren't close to his heart and they don't see the situation as a whole, they're going to say like in verse 22, ah, his glory departed, we're hopeless, it's doomed. And God is calling you and calling I to be those type of people that say, no, 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 you are good. Like you, you said you heard my prayers and you said you wouldn't leave me, you wouldn't forsake me. And so Father, you said that you had these things in store for me and so far, I, I, it looks awful. In fact, it's totally opposite of what you're saying. But I will still believe you. And I know that's where he's calling myself and I know that's where he's calling us to be. Because he wants us to know and understand that he is the God of the impossible. That a life of faith is what it's about, not just a life of just understanding every move God makes. That's not what it's about. It's about a life of faith and trusting in his leadership and submitting to his authority and trusting in his kingship. And so maybe, yeah, it would have been a good idea, a little sackcloth, a little ashes, a little fasting. And I tell you what, you know what would have been a pretty good idea too? Um, you know when Jesus, when he got tempted in Matthew 4? So he didn't eat 40 days and 40 I don't even, you know. And that happened a few times in the Bible. Like, that, that's nuts, right? Every doctor and his physician will be like, that's a bad idea, you know. But it's just God moved him to do it. So they did. And God was faithful, right? Amen? Like, none of those guys lost out. It wasn't like, that was a waste of time. Not ever. But when he was tempted, and like he had to really fight, you know, because the enemy came at him and he came with some specific things. And I think that that's what the enemy does, you know, with us. He comes with specific things that he knows could potentially be an issue. There could be a fault line crack, and he just like comes after it. He doesn't come after the things that we're pretty confident in, he comes after fault lines. And so, Jesus, maybe he sensed that there was a fault line, maybe in, in, in like uh, power, uh, maybe in. Um, how good like his father was. And that's how the enemy came after him. And it was interesting how in Jesus' response, and every single time, he came back and he fought with the word of God. He brought it immediately right back to the scripture, word for word. And even when Satan tried to like change a couple of words, he was like, not exactly. It actually says this, bing, 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 bing. And I'm going to use it the way it says, bing, 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 bing. I'm like just going to turn it the way you'd like to see it used. And let me just suggest to you, and I suggest to myself at the same time, when we're in the middle of a fight, and it seems like things are falling apart, I strongly encourage you to get into his, his good word and his good book that we do have access to. We live here in America, and we got it. We got a lot of problems, but hey, we got this, and this helps a lot. And we should utilize it. Get into this. And during those seasons and those times, you might not even be in one right now, but it's coming. So <laughs> The Christian life is not like, you know, it's just this pursuit of the, the least amount of challenging times in life. Like, that's crazy. That's like, if anything, it just ramps it up. So when they come, do whatever you can 
please do it. Do whatever you can that in this book that you get in it and you say, you know what? Like, I need a solid word from God, like a passage that just, I can anchor my soul in right now during this season. If you have never, I mean, and like, I mean, wrestle with God, because you'll even like read stuff and go through and be like, nah, nah, nah. And I can see people, they just fade off after a week of maybe trying to like just really be with the Lord and just hang on something and nothing pops out. It's like, nah, I don't know, I tried, you know. It's like, like, no, like you fight for it. Like I have ones in my phone right now, anchor verses, there's six of them. I know exactly what they are. I know like what they say. Um, there's reasons why I picked each and every one of them. And those are my anchors for right now. I don't know if they will be in 10 years. But I know 10 years from now, I'll still remember those anchor verses. And those are ones I'm holding on to for right now. It's just, those are non-negotiables. Like, those are done deals in my heart. And those are ones I just bring to him. And, I, and it's almost like I hold God to it. I say, whoa, 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 Lord. Like, you said this. I'm not the boss. You, like, you are. But you also put on my heart. You said I'm your son. So, like, what are we doing? So like when you go through those seasons and the battle is ramped up and it seems like things are completely falling apart, don't settle until you have a word from God that you can anchor yourself in. Amen, amen? Amen, amen. So, that's all I really wanted to share in my heart today. Um, and I wanted to... Uh, you know, spend a little bit of time singing, you know, before we really close in prayer. And so, um, you know, I like that. We're going to do that, Sal. We'll do that Head to the Heart song in a little bit. We'll do it kind of softer. You can sing along if you want or just use it as prayer time. But I like that song because that, that really is much of the journey for the Christian. Going from here to here. Like, it's amazing how much work needs to happen for, from here to Like, that's not far. <laughs> it's amazing how much work needs to happen to get from there to there. And, and much of it, you know, just... Like it says in that song, like just letting go. And um, there's, that, there's that part in that song where it goes, oh, excuse me, it goes, I don't find you, uh, Sal, if I get it right, just put it up on the screen. Basically, I find you in the open fields. Like I don't find you in words or phrases or something, uh, but I find you in the open fields. So is that one up there? Yeah, there you go. More than words and good ideas, I find your love in the open fields. Like, that's like so much, and I didn't like do this before, and I didn't really realize it until we sang it today. Um, that's like so much summarizes like their issue that they had. Like they thought if they just, hey, I got a good idea. Let's get the ark. Worked before. It's God's. Nobody else has it. Like we have it. We're his special people. It'll, it, that's good. And it's like, no, like, I find you love in the open fields. Well, what does that mean? That means, like, God is not found in, like, these strict little boxes that we put him in that are just, like, reductionistic formulas. He's found in hearts that just authentically and transparently cry out to him, and then they just, they just respond. That's where he's found. He's found in those hearts that just, man, they're just transformed, and then they just go out and just respond back in just thankfulness and gratefulness. Like, that's where he's found. So, Sal, so we'll, uh, we'll just play that song and then, and then we'll close up in prayer. So you can stand or sit or pray or whatever, but it's just a good time just to hang out with the Lord.